Hello, I'm Brian Scardato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea you want to validate, now is actually a great time to do it. We just finished up the 22nd cohort, all virtual, and it was incredibly successful. Our founders made a ton of progress. It can actually be a little bit easier to reach and interact with customers these days if you're solving a problem they really want solved. Conversely, it's going to be way tougher to get customers' attention if what you're doing isn't all that important to them. Either way, you'll get transparency into whether your idea has legs. If interested, our next cohort starts June 15th, again, all virtual, and you can apply at gettacklebox.com. On to today. We've got a real treat, just a crazy good podcast. I spoke with Dana Trout, the founder of HealthAid Kombucha. You've probably had HealthAid. It's the delicious kombucha that comes in the darker bottles that kind of look like shampoo bottles and have that big anchor on them. It's one of the fastest growing beverage brands in the world and has raised about $50 million in capital. And luckily, you can buy it direct from their website during these weird times. But what you almost certainly didn't know is that HealthAid came from three friends in an entrepreneurship club who were originally working on a cure for baldness. The story is amazing and Dana's a special founder. Listen to how she approaches and solves difficult problems. Everything has a bias towards action and is done with incredible resolve. Enjoy, and I hope you're all safe and happy. Thank you so much for coming on today. Sure, no problem. Happy to be here. So I think a cool place to start with any of our founders is the story of how the idea came to be. But I think for you in particular, kind of reading up on your background, it seemed like you were sort of subconsciously preparing to start HealthAid for a long time. So maybe we start back as far as makes sense and talk a little bit about like how you got interested in health and diet and all of that in, in the first place. Sure. You know, it's a, it's a good thing to start with, but you know, from a conscious level, I will just say, I didn't know I was going to be making a, you know, starting a kombucha company or making kombucha for sale until about two weeks before we sold our first bottle. So um, <laughs> all, all of this prep work is great context, but in hindsight, it looks all sort of perfect by design. But in reality, it was really sort of, you know, shown to me in my journey, uh, not so much something I had control over. <laughs> <laughs> connect the dots backwards. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I have always been a person that's interested in food and wellness f from food. Um, really, as long as I mean, as early as high school, I would say. Um, and for sure, it has to do with the fact that you know, foods like good, real food has always been a part of my upbringing. My 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 mom always made incredible, balanced whole food meals my whole life. So I'm sure that has something to do with it. And I naturally, you know, just kind of fell in love with food more and more as I grew older. Um, I went in undergrad, I went to Georgetown in DC and I was pre-med. So I mm. think I was starting my journey there really, my journey on, I guess, health. And I mm. wanted to be a doctor at first. Hmm. And I really was doing everything I could to get into a good medical school. So I was like uh, an EMT and, um, hmm. and you know, was trying to do all of the like medical school, uh, you know, extra, extracurricular activities and stuff like that to get in. And it wasn't until a couple months before I graduated that I chose not to go to graduate school for medical hmm. um, and instead go for nutrition. So it was sort of a wow. last minute pivot, but still nutrition is pretty connected to health and it's just a little bit of a different application of it. So um, I ended up going to graduate school right after undergrad for nutritional biochemistry. And I thought I was going to be a lifelong diehard academic researcher. Um, wow. And I spent about two years doing my PhD and I was studying interesting things. I was studying like basically nutraceutical level level amounts of normal vitamins and mm. how they impact cardiovascular disease. So I was interested in it and I was good at it, but it turns out I hate the lab. You know, I hated, <laughs> yeah, I hated working with the rats. I hated not like getting outdoors. I wasn't interacting with mm. enough people. I didn't like fit in for sure. Um, although that's mm. kind of always been my story. So two years into grad school, you know, of a program that probably would have taken anywhere from five to eight years long, I pivoted again and decided I I I didn't want to go the route of academia, um, even though I was passionate about mm. food. At the same time, 
that I was in grad school, I was just really into cooking. You know, I was studying food, sure, mm. but I was really into cooking with it, like making my own sort of concoctions and serving them. Um, not just like food for dinner, but also like health concoctions. Like I would make like health tonics when people were sick with like ginger and maca root and all this kind of stuff. So I was starting to get into wow. a little bit of like food, how food meets medicine. And, but it was mm. just play. And part of it was learning how to ferment. And so I was fermenting all kinds of things in mm. grad school, including kombucha. So that's where I got introduced to kombucha and I made my own, but I didn't think it was going to be my identity for sure 15 years later. And I certainly didn't think it, there was wow. anything special about kombucha above and beyond any other fermented food. Like I was making my own kefir. And, really? Yeah. So it was just sort of one of the things in my you know, kitchen cabinet, so to speak. I huh. always made really good like good quality and high quality food. So my, you know, my SCOBY came from like the best source I could find. I always use like the best quality teas. And so, but that was the case also with my kefir and, and, you know, even mm. where I got my strawberries. So that was just sort of my thing. So I ended up pivoting, not doing my PhD, doing a master's instead. And, you know, went to do another master's in public health because I thought being around people as it relates to health is, is, is where I want to go. So I did public health and, you know, I just basically was like, like, kinda, I guess you could say, uh, I don't know. I don't know if the word meandering is the right word, but it wasn't like a, a very clear path on where I was going. I kind of kept educating myself to realize that wasn't where I wanted to end up. And of course, tacking up a pretty good bill um, as a result. So when I finished <laughs> graduate school, you know, six years later, uh, sure, I had two master's degrees, but I also had like a mortgage worth of debt. And so that really directed me mm. um, a certain way when I started looking for a job because the typical public health job was not very lucrative, at least at the start. So I was mm -hmm. looking for something that could use my you know, skill sets and experience and knowledge, but was also going to pay me enough to basically live. Um, with my bills that I had mm. you know, created. And so that's where I landed my first and only job, uh, basically. I mean, sure, I had side jobs while I worked, but like <laughs> I landed my first and only job after grad school. I moved to LA with my boyfriend who was the co-founder, but um, we still didn't know it yet. Mm. And, and, and we started, <laughs> and I started working for a pharmaceutical company. So obviously that's a little bit different huh. than like holistic nutrition, but I, I got a job selling nutraceuticals, so like basically pharmaceutical grade vitamins, but really high doses. Hmm. And they were being used to help certain aspects of cardiovascular health. So it was actually pretty related to my background. And, yeah. you know, they were going to help pay some of my graduate school bills. I mean, it was pretty awesome, the, the package hmm. I was getting. So I was happy to sign up and work for a pharmaceutical company, especially since it made sense for my background. So that's how I ended up there. Mm -hmm. And I worked there for five years before starting HealthAid. And um, essentially, that job taught me a few things. Uh, first, I, mm -hmm. you know, I definitely felt misaligned from like a value perspective of working for a pharmaceutical company, but being so passionate about real food and food healing. Mm. Um, but more, more so, I learned good things. I learned that I was a really good leader. Like I moved around the company quite a bit and into mm. leadership pretty quickly. And I learned that I was a good leader. I learned that I liked leading and that people responded to my level of leadership. Mm. And I had an opportunity to learn a lot about people and leading people because I got this like weird internship for a year as a change agent. And without getting into too much detail, mm. basically, I had the opportunity to improve, like my job for a year was to improve engagement of the pharmaceutical company's employees. So I switched from being like a salesperson mm -hmm. to basically selling the company to its own employees. Wow. And I just had the opportunity to basically meet over, I don't know, hundreds of teams and hundreds of different leaders. And I got to talk with them and I just learned so much. It was like a crash course in productivity and engagement of what, what makes teams click and what teams work and what teams don't and why. And what's the real effect of micromanagement and what's the real effect of good coaching and good leadership. So I, I learned that like in a matter of a year and I walked away being like, oh my gosh, I feel like I have the keys to leading a strong team and an effective wow. team. So that was a driver for me to quit because the second piece huh. of it was I was so ready to start something. And I don't know where this came from, huh. this, this itch, but it grew. It wasn't like a, I woke up one day unhappy. It grew. I was just sort of unfulfilled. And the next day I was more unfulfilled. And by year five, I was like, mm. I can't get out of bed without tears flowing from my eyes because I was so wow. unhappy or something. And 
when I dug mm. into what it was that I was unhappy about, it was that I wanted to find my way to the top and like build my own business and make a mark that was on my own terms. Mm. And there was no way I was going to do that in my job. So, really so I was feeling this way. I reached out to my best friend and my, hu- my husband at the time. And I was like, this is how I'm feeling. And they too were feeling the same way, but for different reasons. They were in different uh, jobs, but um, all felt the same way, like unfulfilled and really kind of ready to start something and ready to make a name for themselves. But we had nothing. We had no money. I mean, like, you know, we were make, we were living, we were living fine, but like paycheck to paycheck, you know, like nothing really being saved up, like mm-hmm. just sort of early on in our careers. Mm-hmm. And we decided to start an entrepreneur club. And that's really where uh, we ended up on Health Aid. I'm happy oh. to jump into like kind of how we landed, landed on Health Aid after that. But that's, that's sort of the background of how we got to, okay, the three of us are sitting at a table talking about business. That's so interesting. I mean, that's such an, an incredible opportunity to learn one that you're a leader and then to like, be able to like bounce from, it sounded like a bunch of these topics where you're talking about like understanding how to make teams click is like, what's more important than that for an entrepreneur, understanding about time management, about micromanagement. That's like really, really great experience in such a condensed amount of time. That's great. I would say it's, it's, it's served me so well. Like I look back at the pharmaceutical job and I see it as a very, very important step, stepping like step stepping stone to where I went. Mm. Um, without it, I wouldn't have learned all of that, but I also wouldn't have honed in on my own skills and like, you know, fine tuned those. So, you know, wherever you are, those of you listening, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that's at all where you're going to end up. And sometimes those things, those things you're doing that may seem very unrelated actually might be quite related and necessary for, you know, your ultimate sort of work um, that still lies ahead. At least for me, I look back at GSK and I'm very grateful for that five years. GSK was the company. Um, I'm very grateful for that five years I had there. And then of course, for that cool opportunity to be change agent. Yeah. And you kind of have, at this point, I'm sort of visualizing your experience as this Venn diagram that's that becomes pretty unique where you've got the like pure science background of it. You've got the, I'll call it like the cooking background or you making your own mm-hmm. food. And then you've got the more corporate side. And there probably aren't a lot of people who have those three um, skill sets or knowledge bases. Yeah. And it was not like by design, right? Like I kind of I yeah. <laughs> kind of went into nutrition and health because I was good at science and I liked it. So I just kind of kept studying it. And I ended up in a place by continuing to pursue just, I guess you could call it excellence or like getting better just each day and whatever it is I was doing. And I sort of ended up in a place where then it became clear. Mm. But it wasn't like I had this vision from the beginning as we talked about. Cool, cool. And and I do want to dig in a little bit because I think I get we get a lot of people who reach out who sound similar to what I would imagine you sounded like at the time where you were sort of like, I want to do something. I don't know if it's bigger or like make a bigger impact, but like there was clear ambition there. Mm-hmm. And we get people like that who are like, I don't necessarily know what I want to do, but I know I got to do my own thing. Yeah. So I think digging into how you made that decision on health aid or like how it got to that yeah. point is, is, is actually super yeah. relevant. I, I get that a lot too, from people I speak with and we were in that spot a hundred percent. And yes, mm. my background was in food and, and stuff. So maybe it makes sense that I landed on kombucha, but if you were to be interviewing Justin or Vanessa, the two other co-founders, mm. Justin's a musician. So really wow. you talk to him and be like, how the F did you get to kombucha? You know, <laughs> from, What type of music? From being, he's a guitarist and that's what he went to school for oh, cool. to train. Um, but he was in music production and engineering and like songwriting and stuff in LA at the time that we started this. Wow. Um, but really cool. unrelated to kombucha. I mean, the only connection he had to kombucha was that I made it at home. And because he was my boyfriend, he was forced <laughs> to drink it, you know? Um, no, he liked it. I'm kidding. Uh, and then Vanessa, her background's really like she went to, she worked at the same pharmaceutical company I worked at. She was in, but she stayed in sales the whole time. And, um, mm. you know, she went to business school. So she was sort of on a different path, not, you know, more business related for sure, but not at all related to food. So again, the, the way we landed on kombucha had had not a lot to do with my past. Um, I think it's more that uh, we we did something and made it work than we than we did the right thing. So I'll get to that. But cool. but basically, what we did because the three of us were feeling that way. We don't know what it is, but we know we want to do something, and we know we're entrepreneurs at heart. Like we know it. Um, mm. The other challenge was we didn't have any cash. Mm. But we we didn't know that that was a challenge at the time as much. So that naivete was good. We sat down at a uh, a table basically once a week uh, because we all still had our jobs. 
and we would mm. spend the whole afternoon in our entrepreneur club. And what we would bring up were ideas for a business and we would focus it in on um, like what are pain points we can solve. So throughout the day, mm. the idea, throughout the week, the idea was that you'd write down all the things that were annoying or that like, yeah, that like pained <laughs> you. And then we would like talk through them and figure out if there was some kind of solution we could have to any of these things. And so we came up with all yeah. kinds of ideas, like from, I can't find a parking space. Oh, let's mm. make a parking app to, you know, the knee high boots I'm wearing keep slouching. Okay. Let's make something that keeps those boots from slouching. It really, <laughs> really was not focused at all on a thing or, or even a product. Some of these things were services, but almost without fail, every idea we had got crossed off the list because we just didn't have cash to support the solution we'd mm. come up with. A lot of times it was like, oh, let's make this app. And then the app designer was like going to charge $20,000 or something. So we're like, okay, that's not going to work. Mm. You know, we came up with all kinds of ideas. ideas. I, we would have the meeting in my home in uh, my apartment in LA because I had like a dining room table and we would sip on my kombucha during this meeting. So like, it was almost <laughs> really like, you know, the universe just like, will you fucking start this thing already? <laughs> um, but, you know, we didn't see it yet. So we would drink on the kombucha, come up with all these ideas. And basically we landed on it because Justin was working on the side for a guy who had a lot of success, a, an entrepreneur who had a lot of success selling a hair loss prevention product. And it was pretty mm. crappy. It didn't really work, but he made a ton of money and had tons of orders. And Justin was just floored with how much success this guy had from like a product that barely even worked. And so he was kind of like, guys, wow. if we could make a product for hair loss that actually works, like we could really have success too. So we started researching what would regrow hair. And of wow. course, I was interested in finding something that was like holistic and maybe nutrition based, right? That's kind of where my background comes in. And we started mm -hmm. finding all over the internet anecdotes and just stories of people that use the kombucha scoby, which is the culture that's used to make kombucha. Mm as a mask on the head hmm. and that if you you know put it on once a week once a week for like five weeks you're gonna see hair growth so this became a, a realistic solution for us because we knew how to make sure. kombucha i knew how to make those scobies it wasn't going to cost me anything to make kombucha i mean just the cost of sugar tea and time hmm. and justin's hair was kind of starting to you know thin out a bit so we're like great we even have a guinea pig and um <laughs> so we started on this sort of journey to make a bunch of kombucha but not for the liquid. We didn't care about the liquid. We wanted to produce these <laughs> cultures that then we would ultimately, you know, save the world from baldness with. <laughs> so that was the start. And we started going, we started making kombucha. I was making as much kombucha as I could make. And I had really good quality kombucha. So I didn't throw it out. I put it in cheap bottles mm. I could buy um, at LA Bottle Supply. I bought the cheapest ones you could find, which happened to be amber brown Boston round stock bottles that were like 75% off because who would want an apothecary looking bottle? So <laughs> bought those for 75% off, bottled my kombucha and just put it in my closet. Like it was sort of like whenever a friend would come over, I would just give them a case because I just had it. Huh. And we would be making the kombucha again to gather these cultures because each batch you make, you get a culture. So like I would just basically be making mm. kombucha to get a culture. And we had this opportunity. So we're doing this. This is taking a few weeks. We're now like maybe six weeks into this. I've probably made about 60 mm -hmm. cases of kombucha that are just sitting in my oh. you know, apartment starting to take over my living room. <laughs> and we're about to get ready to put it on Justin's head. But uh, <laughs> we get a phone call from a friend of a friend. Vanessa's friend ran or managed Brentwood Farmer's Market in LA. That farmer's mm -hmm. market is one of the best. It's like an 18 month wait to get in. So we knew wow. that. And to have an opportunity to sell there is sort of one we didn't want to miss, especially since what you'll learn about the three of us is that we're sort of like turbo mode people. We often say yes before we're ready. So that friend through a lunch with Vanessa had learned that we were working on this hair project. And she said, hey, listen, we're trying to bring more like cosmetics and like, you know, less farmer goods to the farmer's markets. Do you guys want to space mm -hmm. this summer? I'll give it to you from March to September. And her intent was that we would sell our hair loss product. And mm -hmm. We hadn't even created one yet. All I had was a bunch of scobies and we were about to test it on Justin, but we were like, yeah, we do. Yeah, we definitely want that spot. We'll take it. <laughs> it's 150 bucks a week rent. And, you know, we were going to, and the only, you know, catch was that we had to be ready to sell something in a couple of weeks. Hmm. So the way that we saw it, we're like, how hard can this be? Let's make a product and, sure. uh, and we'll sell it and we'll figure it out. And we didn't think at this point that this was going to be like the game changing moment or like the. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the business that was going to, you know, define us, we were just like, whatever, you know, we're going to learn, 
We're going to learn this summer. We're going to sell in the fucking farmer's markets. Let's just see how this goes. We spent one afternoon mixing the scobies, the the cultures with like avocados and different things to try to make a high quality mask that we could then package and sell for Mm. a hundred bucks. And needless to say, we realized it only took one afternoon to realize that that was going to be harder than we thought. Um, (laughs) Making a super high quality hair mask was not something that we were, you know, (laughs) uh, going to be able to do in two weeks. So we sort of looked at the wall uh, next to us as we were mixing scobies uh, in a bowl and we saw those cases of kombucha and we were just like, all right, we're pivoting. That's what we're selling. And so we, we made a label. I drew a label. You know, we had the brown bottles, so we really felt like it should, we would just double down on that apothecary look. And plus that made sense from like, you know, the fact that we think kombucha is like a healthy drink. So, you know, we went, we, I kind of drew something on paper. We sent it to a friend and for 20 bucks or 50 bucks or something like that, he made a label for us and we printed mm-hmm. it on our, literally on our at-home printer and scotch taped it onto the bottles <laughs> and sold out in an hour. Oh my God. And listen, the way I tell the story, it's kind of like, and the rest was history, you know, like eight, <laughs> eight years later we're, you know, and we, we have seen a lot of success um, in the, on the growth side in eight years. And I'm so grateful for that, but it has not been easy. It has not been a simple journey mm. and, um, it has taken a lot of work and, you know, it's been my life's work really. It's, I really feel like it's been my purpose the whole time. Anyway, so that's how we started. And, and I think the lesson in it for me, looking back is, I don't know. I mean, we happened to hit on a very cool project that I think was at the beginning of a very strong wave. Like we weren't the first kombucha to enter the market. And a lot of the kombucha companies that had been there had already paved the way. And so we came in with a strong brand, really strong energy, a really good liquid. And we just like helped, we just participated in that wave as it grew. And then we helped contribute to it too. So, you know, we did definitely come in at the right place at the right time. But I also think there was a lot of like just putting it out there and getting a product in the market before you're ready. No, the labels weren't perfect. No, you know, it wasn't even on a sticker. It didn't even have a nutrition facts panel, Um, you know, and we just showed up and the reality was uh, it worked. And, you know, this the second week we had the same sort of effect. And then the summer sort of told us that, hey, you've got something here. And so by the end of the year, uh, we quit our jobs and 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 gave it a go full time. And that was super a super scary moment, too, that I know a lot of entrepreneurs need sort of handholding through because it, it doesn't make sense to do that when you don't have any money um, to quit mm-hmm. your job and start something else. So, you know, I talk to people about that, too. But that's how it started. And that's sort of how we landed on something. And again, we never knew that kombucha was going to be the big thing. It was more that we just couldn't wait. And we just said yes. And we figured it out as we went. So it's it's like I just sat there during you talking and telling that story with a giant smile on my face. Like that's the best. Um, but I have a bunch. Of, I have some questions and things that stuck out to me. I think the first one. I think there are two like massive points that I think are so cool. Like the, the first one is the entrepreneurship club that you created and just like showing up with problems, thinking through them a little bit, figuring out they're not viable, scrapping them, going to the next. I think that like it's kind of goofy to say like oh we're going to do an entrepreneurship club the three of us each weekend. Um, yeah. But those are the types of things that like work that you have to start you have to create a culture of like action and you clearly have this massive bias towards action and that was like the first part of making this all happen. It's like it's so cool to me. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think it is a first step and maybe that's a, a simple sort of good direction to give somebody who says they want to do something. It's like, all right, start, sit down with a pen and paper, start coming up with ideas, knock them out. Yep. Cause you'll see pretty quickly, like after a week we were able to knock out, like, you know, it was rare that we had a project we continued to look into more than a week because it was pretty quick that we saw, okay, too much, com- too much competitors, or you know, we don't have any knowledge in this, or we don't have the money. Like there's always something that just made it a clear kind of, no, nope, not going to work, not going to work, not going to work, not going to work. And eventually when we got to the kombucha, well, when we got to the hair loss thing, it was sort of like, Hey, this could work. This could work. Mm-hmm. And and so we kept going on it. And then of course life threw us a different, different sort of set of cards and we took them. And here we are today, eight years later with like, you know, a legitimate business, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> um, but I think that's, that's like, what's cool is that you went through these problems and you landed on one. Like there's this, 
I was talking to someone maybe pr- probably at the end of 2019 and they were saying like, what types of companies do you think will succeed in 2020? And I always have three that I'm like, well, this will always be a problem that people want, will want to spend money on, will want to fix. And it's like baldness, sex stuff, babies and kids. And those are like, those are the things that are actual problems that are, when you look at people's hierarchy of problems, they're in the top one or two always. And so you can get attention. So it's not surprising that you got this spot for that. And it probably also taught you like, what does traction look like? Like, what does interest look mm-hmm. like? And then you saw it at the farm stand and it, yeah. it, it was obvious. Yeah. I also think that's really cool that you had, like you were able to get in a channel that people already trusted. And so like right away, it was like, this is something that deserves your attention. And then it was like, everything sort of lined up from the market, the movement, all of that. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, definitely a little bit of luck, but also a lot of just get into it. Like you said, I think just getting into action. That's one of the first things I try to help entrepreneurs through because they often are stuck with this feeling that they have to perfect an idea first. And the beautiful thing about the farmer's market too, I think is 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 something that, you know, maybe people don't think of it as like a, a route to market they want to consider, but you know, in, in some ways it's an awesome one because it's not a huge amount of overhead to get into. It doesn't take a long time. You're able to exchange with the consumer directly and like face to face. So you're seeing their reaction when they drink it. You see which flavors they like, you see what pitch works better than others. Like in in a matter of a day, I can hone it. I mean, Justin and I and Vanessa used to play games. We'd be like, all right, today's pink lady apple day. And we would just sell pink lady apple. And of course the sales for pink lady apple would be like, quadruple what the other flavors were. And huh. it's like it taught us so much about how to properly position it. It's almost like A-B testing, but like in real life. Yeah. Anyway, so I think the farmer's market also was a key to our success in the beginning because we didn't have cash. We didn't have access to all these insights. And like, maybe you can get all of that another way, but it works too, just to like kind of get on the ground and do it. Whirl up your sleeves yeah. and just sell it. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing lesson to try and figure out how can you create that sort of atmosphere where you're getting tight feedback loops with your customer early learning how to sell all that. Awesome. <laughs> so I have a couple questions there. So like you sell out and you guys probably, it was probably an amazing feeling. It was probably really exciting. Then I would imagine it became pretty real where you had to make a decision like, all right, is this the thing that we're going to do or not? Mm-hmm. I'm curious about that conversation. And like even thinking through it for a second, I'm like right now, I would be like, man, I don't know about supply chain. I don't know about, I'm going to have to sell to grocery stores. What does that mean? Like all of those things would stress me mm. out and become very intimidating. Mm. I'm curious with how about how you guys thought about it and handled it. Yeah. And listen, I think it's great that there are people like you that think through the things that could go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and perhaps because of all of that we had access to, maybe it was the best thing that we weren't like that. Um because now I rely on those people in my business for real. So I'm very grateful you guys you know, exist. We were very, uh, I mean, we always had this incredibly grandiose vision and drive that like when we started Health Aid and it started working, we were like, oh, Health Aid's gonna be in every fridge in America by the end of next year. Like that was sort of our, our grandiose idea and vision, but we didn't really build the plan. We were more short-term focused, even though we had a super grandiose long-term vision. Mm. And it was just about figuring it out one step at a time, essentially. And I actually think that was a really important part of our story because if I walked into... So today, I've got you know over 200 employees. We're vertically integrated. We manufacture mm. in-house in Torrance. I've got more than you know $15 million worth of stainless steel and glass and equipment <laughs> that are, you know, manufacturing seven days a week at like efficiencies that I, I, I never imagined. Like if I walked into that brewery at the beginning, I'm, that might've been discouraging enough for me to quit the whole project. Cause I would have said, I have no idea Mm. how to build that. Like no idea. Mm. But yet here I am having had no idea how to build that. And I built that Mm -hmm. now, obviously with the help of others, but I didn't have to know how to build that back then. I didn't have to know the Mm. plan. I didn't even know how, I didn't need to know anything about it. All I needed to know was how I was going to get to the next step. And that was a really, I think, important thing that the three of us understood intuitively. We didn't let that future plan like get in our heads too much. Mm. You know, we started in the farmer's markets and we started seeing that store owners, like mom pop store owners would come to the markets and they would be like, oh, I want to sell this in my store. Mm. You know, can I, can I buy 10 cases? And we'd be like, well, you know, that'll 
basically clean us out. So how about we deliver you 10 cases on Tuesday? <laughs> and so we started this huh. sort of like on-demand wholesale delivery around LA to mom-pop stores. And we really quickly realized that wholesale was where the money was at. Like, you know, you'd sell 10, mm. 20, 30 cases in one in one setting and it was done over the phone. <laughs> you could deliver it by car versus somebody slaving in the hot sun every single weekend to sell half that. Mm. So it was sort of like, uh, you know, we quickly realized, okay, wholesale's where we go. How do we, and we would revisit, you know, as a team, how do we like, you know, change our capabilities to be more wholesale driven? How do we start opening more accounts? So the business sort of, as the, as we watched the business evolve and the demands evolve, we evolved with it. And so soon, we created roles for the three of us. And one person's entire role mm. was to go open up wholesale accounts. And um, as those wholesale wow. accounts got bigger and bigger, we kind of became a distribution company. Because I mean, in the beginning, I was delivering cars out of my Honda Civic. But then there's only so many cases you can fit in your Honda Civic, 36 to be exact. <laughs> and you know, when orders started to get bigger than that, you know, or a days of orders started to get bigger than that, it's like, okay, we need a van. So we figured out how to get mm. a van. And then the van became too big. And then we needed to hire a driver. And then there was this point where we're like, wait, are we really going to hire like a third driver and a second van? Like, is this how we want to go? Do we want to become a distribution company mm. too? And so that's when we sort of revisited and said, no, this is when we unlock third party distribution. And so then mm. we started going to distributors. And as distributors came, orders came even bigger. And that, of course, drove the need for us to drive our manufacturing to be bigger. And so over the mm -hmm. course of manufacturing, it didn't start in my kitchen. And then the next brewery we built was the one I'm in today. We've had four iterations and mm. each iteration made sense as the next step from where we were. Like we had to go from A to B to C to D. Mm. So now I think that with capital and experience and knowledge, you don't have to do it that way. And that's the beautiful thing about business. There's a million ways to do it. And there's, there's a million right ways to do it. The right ways are the ways that work. And for me, mm. this happened to work, but it's possible that you could skip all of that A to B to C to D if you've got a little more capital, a little bit more time, a little more patience, maybe your mindset is such that you think through those sort of threats and weaknesses and you don't have to do what we did, which was basically constantly work through the problems. I don't know. I don't know. All I can say is I've done this mm. once and that's how we did it. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And it's such a good point. I've worked with so many startups now. I like skip ahead to things that just aren't relevant now at all. And there's no need to worry about a risk that may or may not come up in two years. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned talking around the moment of like quitting your job. I think that's a that's a really cool thing to hone in on for a second. Yeah. So you, you guys are working for a while, it sounds like with your jobs, you're going to farmer's markets on the weekend. I imagine you're you're making this stuff in your kitchen and, yeah. and at massive, big quantities. Yeah. What was that decision like to quit? And were all three of you on the same page? Yeah. So one of the beautiful things about the three of us is that we are on the same page, not with every single problem, like in how we're going to solve it, but with the general, like we have equal desire and passion to bring this product or this brand to mm every household in America. Like that's, oh, and we all have the same level of sort of like drive to win. I think that's a really important point um, because a lot mm. of issues can erupt when you've got founders that have differing passion and, and willingness to devote to a project. So with us, I think mm. part of our, you know, sort of recipe for success was definitely that the three of us were all in and equally all in. But yeah, I mean, basically what happened that summer was we were working on our tails off every waking moment to drive this brand forward. And mm. it started as a weekend thing. Then it was every night of the week. And then it was, it was like every waking hour. I mean, we got to this point where we were so ragged, like we were just like run thin. <laughs> and, um, you know, somewhere around September, October of that year, that first year, 2012, where we all, we all just kind of realized like we were at our max and we weren't going to be able mm. to keep growing this thing and, and delivering what, was clearly capable, it was capable of. Like it was clear that we mm. had this capability to build this into something bigger. Like at that point, it was tough to keep up with the demand. Um, mm. We were driving the demand too, but it's like we we weren't even hitting our, like we weren't even, we, let's just say there was a lot of low hanging fruit, like, and we couldn't mm. even pick all the fruit. So it was sort of like we knew there mm. was potential. We had enough information and insight to tell us we had something. Mm -hmm. But what we didn't have is any more energy or time. And we were like already doing pretty mm. shitty jobs at our normal jobs. So it was sort of like we weren't doing either the right service. And mm. we just sat down and we're like, here's what we <laughs> asked for. So are we going to do it? 
are we going to do it? Are we going to quit our jobs and freaking give this a go? And, um, you know, the consensus was yes. And Hmm. It, it wasn't exactly clear how we were going to figure out the financials. I think the the, the three of us had like a, a few months of rent at least saved up. Hmm. Health aid wasn't paying us by any means. Hmm. So we had enough to figure out the next three months. You know, against the advice of all of our parents and, and friends, we quit our jobs by the end of 2012. And wow. um, starting January 3rd, 2013, we showed up and we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, what did we just do? I mean, we, we, we love what we just did, but we were like, it, it just, it became so real that not only was there no paycheck coming, but that we had just made this very sort of drastic move and we were not going to let this tarnish our reputation, our, you know, our drive. And so it just made us work a thousand times harder. And by the way, we had more time, right? So now where I was putting before yeah. six hours a day or something, now I have like a full 12, 14 hours a day to apply this thing and a lot of motivation, mm-hmm. um, a lot to prove. Yeah. And again, we already had the brand off the ground. So it was like at this point, mm-hmm. there was quite a bit of work that was before us that was like obvious. It wasn't like I was quitting to then just start the idea. Mm-hmm. So revenues quickly responded. And, you know, it's funny is that's a marquee moment for us, the quitting of our jobs, not just because emotionally mm-hmm. it was important that we devoted ourselves fully, but that that extra work and time that that was put into the business, like translated very like linearly, if not more to a reward. Like it was like, mm-hmm. oh, through us sitting down for a day and realizing like like writing down how we were going to get to where we needed to get to, to basically pay us uh, like a, just a salary enough to live on. We realized there was no way we could open up that number of doors um, that we needed to in the time we'd need it before we ran out of rent money. So it was like in that first mm. week that we realized, okay, we need people. We need people like troops on the ground mm. to be opening accounts like stat. And mm. within four weeks, we had 20 independent sales reps working for us. Literally an ad I posted on Craigslist for people who love kombucha, who wants to work for us. And that we we didn't pay them unless they got, like it was commission only. So basically any account they brought Mm -hmm. in, as soon as that account wrote us a check, they got 10% of it. Wow. And then they got 10% of it like forevermore as long as they kept working for us. So it was sort of a good side project job for the yoga teacher that loved kombucha and the, Mm. you know, actress or actor that like had some extra time on their hands and loved kombucha because we would also give free kombucha. So Mm. that's how we got started. And it wouldn't have been like, I don't think we would have realized that had I not had the mind space to sit down and look at the business and say, okay, we need X number of dollars per week to just live. We're not going to make that happen uh, the way we're going with just the three of us. So it was just like, it was a marquee moment because it it, it helped us look at the business and not just work on the business. And, um, Mm-hmm. that sort of translated to bigger growth. That's so interesting. So you were you're sort of like while you had your jobs you were learning about how impactful this business could be, learning about customers, learning about where to sell, and then you sort of pivoted from like learn mode to grow mode and built the infrastructure for that. I mean, what a fearless decision that yeah. is, like to sit down and look at the finances and say we don't have enough we like this won't work at our current rate. We need to bring in people. I don't think most people would make that decision. I think it would be like, well, how can we, maybe we'll work on weekends or whatever. But like, that was, that was the decision that needed, needed to be made. That's, that's great. Yeah. Like our, our, um, I think if you could say one thing about the three of us, like it would be that we are on offense all the time. Yeah. It's like, I have notes next to me and like big letters. I have like bias towards action and then just fearless underlined like five times. The funny thing <laughs> is, is it was very scary. So I, I, I mean, we were, yeah. you know, throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the talk, anxiety was at an all-time high. I don't think it it wasn't fearless, but it was um, maybe maybe I don't know what the other word is, but certainly um, certainly scary. Holy moly, was it scary! Mm. I mean, mm. every day I woke up and I thought I'm not going to call my parents because you know I'm pretty close to like getting kicked out of my apartment and living out of my car. Like no. you know, it was not um, it wasn't just easy to be like that. But for whatever reason, that the, the three of us naturally have an inclination toward being on offense. So even during like these COVID times where a lot of my colleagues, you know, everybody's impacted by this. I mean, sure, there's some there's some businesses that are benefiting, but um, mo- most most companies are impacted. And um, mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of them contract 
lay off people, contract, cut expenses, cut costs. And I know that makes a lot of logical sense, but there's mm -hmm. also other things you can consider. Because my natural thought mm -hmm. was, what do we do to turn this into a win for us? What do we do to turn this into a strong chapter for health aid where we can maybe even help people who have lost their jobs by providing more jobs? And, you know, mm -hmm. like, it just naturally is the way that we are, I think, to, to not think of like restricting and constricting first, but to go toward another potential solution, which is more offensive or not offensive to people, mm -hmm. but like on off. Yeah, 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 totally. That's a great perspective. I have a question about that a little bit about like the mental side of that. So you mentioned um, sort of offhand and, and if it wasn't important and it wasn't a big deal, then we don't have to talk about it. Um, but I do think that when people decide to go all in on something like everyone's supportive when you're working on a startup on the side. And then when you say that you're going to do it full time, yes. everything changes and, and friends are like, Ooh, and your family's like, Oh, maybe not. Yes. And we're like, why and don't you wait this. till the business is profitable enough? And I'm like, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but yes, a hundred percent that happened. So, so that's, that's my question is like the mental side of that, of like everyone telling you what you're doing is maybe not the right thing to do, but in, but like inside, you know, it is, but that's still generally in life when like everyone tells you not to do something like you, you should maybe listen, yeah. but in this case you shouldn't. Um, how did ju I'm just curious about the mental side of that. Uh, yeah, I, I really, um, so the tagline we have on our bottles, follow your gut. That is not just a, <laughs> a directional, you know, tagline to tell you about the fact that kombucha has got gut benefits. Um, mm -hmm. for us, it really was a business mantra, especially in the beginning, because mm -hmm. what happened in those conversations, and I think you always listen, you always listen to people's opinions, um, but you don't have to do what they say. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are going to be times, I think by definition, if everybody agreed with what you were doing, it, like it would be done way more. And, mm -hmm. um, if it made logical sense, it would be done way more. And that's just not the case. So I feel like for business, it's okay if you find yourself in a position where like you want to go a different way, but yet everybody is telling you not to. It's okay. Uh, that's actually probably the price of entry. So maybe that's even an indication that you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. But you know, just because other people don't agree, it certainly shouldn't be a reason to uh, hold back. And what you have to do is really tap into your gut. Like, I mean, I hate to say it, mm -hmm. but when I had those conversations, it was like, I remember, I can remember it to this day. It was my dad telling me, wait until the business has profits and can actually pay you what mm. you need before you quit. Vanessa's mom wrote her an Excel mm. doc with like pros and cons. And there was like a thousand pages, <sighs> pages of cons. And there was one pro and the pro was you might succeed. You know, <laughs> the head, the head games that our friends and family, you know, not head games, of course, they're there to protect us, but yeah, I mean, the energy around this was all, as soon as it was time to quit our jobs, it was all very sort of quote unquote unsupportive. Mm. But like the feeling in the gut when they're talking to me is you're wrong. You're wrong and this mm -hmm. is going to work and I have to do this. And it it just, I don't know how to say it except that you've got to really tap into that. Um, yeah. And there's other examples of this, by the way, in our story, like even after we had an established business a little bit, and we had our first investment, you know, my investors first came in and said, this is just one example, but it happens all the time. My investors came in and said, okay, you got to move away from the brown bottles because everybody in beverage mm -hmm. sells in clear bottles and people buy because of the colorful, you know, cue for flavor and taste that comes through when you, when you sell clear. And so like, yeah, next run of bottles, let's look at clear. And I, I just remember that same feeling coming up that was like my intuition telling mm. me, no, like we have a differentiated product because we're in a brown bottle. Not to mention the fact that it protects the probiotics, the brown bottle. Mm. It also feels like the wrong move to go to look like everybody else. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, so I listened, but I sort of put my foot down and said, you know, I agree with you on reasons, the, the other things you brought up, but not on the brown bottle thing. We're, we're not going to do that. It wasn't a big deal. You know, they kind of said, okay, all right, you know, move mm -hmm. on. And in the end I was right. You know, the Brown bottle ended up mm -hmm. being a huge marketing advantage for us to say we're the one in the Brown bottle in the beginning before people knew our name. And, um, mm -hmm. funny enough, now a lot of the companies are moving toward a Brown bottle. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, there are examples of that too, where I was wrong. It's not that you're always right, but I do think what's what, what, what you have to listen to is that sort of fire within that says, no, I, I don't agree with this and I want to do something different and that's okay. In fact, it, if you didn't have that, 
you could put you could put the question into Google and it would spit back what you should do. And that's of course not the case. <laughs> you know, business mm. really is a journey of your own decisions. Um, it's a it's a it's a journey of your own problem solving and how you chose to solve these problems and it's manifested in some kind of service or product. That's business. And so it's yours. It's your decision to make. Incredible. I love that. And and I think on that point is something that I definitely wanted to touch on. Um, was brand in general. So, like when I hear about the backgrounds of the founders, I, I might be wrong, but I didn't, I didn't hear anything about creating a brand or um, certainly like design or, or something like that. And I, I for a long time. So my my girlfriend introduced me to HealthAid years ago, and I, I didn't know that there was other kombucha. Like I thought that was, it, it's just such a strong and disciplined brand and differentiated brand. I'm just curious about how how you were able to stay so disciplined with it and like did has it always sort of looked like this or how, what are the conversations around brand like early and then and then now yeah no i'm glad you brought this up because brand actually was a really big part of our conversation from the beginning so mm. when we did decide that we were going to sell a kombucha so even before the first time we sold a bottle but when we were like designing the label mm. we we definitely were like okay this is what we're doing it wasn't like oh let's see how this sells the first market we were definitely like all right this summer <laughs> We're going to, you know, we were sort of, I don't want to say idiots, but you know, we had like, you know, I told you about our grandiose ideas. So we were literally like, okay, this summer we're going to make a million bucks. <laughs> and, um, you know, definitely did not happen. Not even close, but, um, but, but we were like, all right, so to do that, we have to, and, and, you know, we kind of did a bit of an exercise, like, and I think part of this comes from the leadership training that I had, to be honest, like I had learned mm-hmm. in my change agent days that like aligning on a big purpose and like you know, vision and articulating extraordinary goals. And like, um, so, you know, I kind of sat the team together and I'm like, how do we do this? What do we want to be like? Oh, we want to be like Nike. All right. So let's look what Nike does. Mm. And, and it was sort of very clear that we were going to be not just a really awesome liquid, but in order to be successful, we'd also need to have an extremely strong, disciplined, engaging brand, Um, that has a position that's compelling and emotional. So even though we didn't have any classic training in brand, what we did was looked at some of our favorite brands and and tried to pull basically away what were the the similar things and Mm. um, apply those for our brand. So yeah, I know I did kind of gloss over like, oh, we sent it to a friend for 50 bucks, but like it wasn't just any friend. This friend designed, you know, the CD case for like the Foo Fighters albums and he was really a strong graphics guy. Um, and, Mm. and we were inspired by the apothecary look and, you know, he was able to like hit a pretty awesome home run for the first label, but yes, it did evolve. It totally evolved because that label wasn't even legal. Um, Mm. it, you know, had a clip art anchor, (laughs) but we evolved it as we got investment. We, you know, we got stronger, um, designers, but to this day for me, it's all about the brand. Like, um, Mm. you know, the liquid is important I mean, there's three really important things, I think, when I think about the success of HealthAid, and it's for sure the liquid, the liquid's got to be awesome, the product has to be awesome, but that's almost like the price of entry. The second is the execution, the people, like you've got to be able to execute on a plan and like actually deliver on what you set out to do. You got to act and your team has to act. And so we've been able to grow fast, I think, because the team has been really good at like rowing in the right direction and in the same direction because the wheels shake for sure. Um, so a strong team and a strong focus is key so that they don't fall off. Mm. But the third thing, and and arguably maybe even the most important is a strong brand. So it's always been a focus. Mm. Like, you know, right, we're going to launch something this summer that's exciting, um, but I can't talk about it too much, but we're going to launch something this <laughs> summer. And I mean, I've had my brand team on, you know, night shift hours because I just mm. want to get this so freaking right, man, that it's a no-brainer mm. home run. So no, we're not just yep. like you know, oh, this worked. The brand is serious. Serious mm. thing. Yeah. I care about yeah, the freaking I, fonts and the emails. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it comes through. It couldn't come through anymore. If I had to, if I had to name brands of, of like any drink, like you're certainly, it, it's like, it's ridiculously strong. And like the first impression is great. The like, the visibility is great. It's just, it's, tremendous. You've done a great job. And I, I'm confident the next, whatever's coming out this summer will be as well. Thank you. So I want to be cognizant of time. So I'm going to, I'm going to give us one more question cool. um, to kind of end things on. This has been very helpful, very inspiring. And I think one of the things that, that might be 
really great for our founders is a bunch of them are working on startup ideas while they have a full-time job. For our listeners, I should say, what would your advice be for those folks who are trying to like get the next step, trying to trying to get to the point where they can quit their job and do this thing full-time? Yeah. I mean, I guess it would be uh, a little bit what we talked about in the beginning, you know, start, start mm. writing some things down on paper. If you're there, if you already have the idea and you know what it is, put it out there, put it out mm. there before you're ready. What's interesting is as I find people who have done things successfully and I ask them the same question almost always, and I'm talking like, it's almost, I think it's a hundred percent. They've told me that they put the product or service out there before they were ready. And mm. so I wonder if that's a very important piece of this, because like we talked about in the beginning, a plan is only a plan and it's usually not going to happen the way you expect. And so what you're doing by putting something out early is, you know, betting that you're going to solve the problems as they come. You're betting on yourself, oh. you're betting on your team, you know, you're betting on your product or whatever, but you're not over you know, over and analyzing what, what, what might happen. I mean, obviously like COVID is a great example. Like nobody's plan is going to plan this year, but the, the companies that are going to win through this are the ones that can evolve and adapt quickly. And so having that mindset as an entrepreneur, I think is key. You've got an idea, go with it, give it a shot, put it out there. Don't wait till the blog or the, the label or the whatever is perfect. So many people I talk to are like, I've made this product, but in, but in October, it's going to be this percent better because, <sighs> you know, this co-packer can do this or whatever. And I'm like, great. So sell it now and then sell it better in October. You know, that's the, <laughs> to me, at least I think, and again, I'm, I know business, like I've done one business and it's working, but, um, mm. so I, I wouldn't call, I, I wouldn't say I'm a guru or anything. I think I got to do at least two, right. To be called anything. But, um, but my intuition tells me getting out there before you're ready, getting it out there, taking action is the key step. It's, it's like, just do it. Awesome. I love it. So whether it's writing things on paper or going out there and just trying to sell it, whatever it is, it's taking action. Awesome. Let's end on that. That was so good. I love betting on yourself to solve the problems as they come. That's so freaking good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dana, thank you so much. This was terrific. Really, really helpful. Um, really inspiring. What last thing? What What's your favorite flavor? Um. Okay. So I usually say pomegranate because that is like all time my fave. But actually, mm. right now my favorite is jalapeno kiwi cucumber, Ooh. and it's my favorite because it feels like I'm drinking a margarita, but it doesn't have the alcohol. And um, <laughs> even with the alcohol, it's good too. So nice. uh, that's that's my new favorite jalapeno Amazing. kiwi cucumber. Everybody get that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Thanks for listening. Head over to the website and grab yourself some health aid kombucha. And if you've got a startup idea, head to gettacklebox.com or email me at brian at gettacklebox.com. Have a great week.